to uh, win her heart. Oh my God. When she says you could ask him yourself, my <laughs> fucking heart stopped. Yeah, so did Matt's. <laughs> yeah, I would have peed my pants right there, <laughs> right on the floor. Yeah. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. I could not handle this episode. <laughs> Why? Too much slicing and dicing? Oh, God. <laughs> I was freaking the fuck out, not remembering any of this. Okay. Between the slicing and dicing, as you call it, thanks for that, <laughs> and the tension that we have later in this episode. Oh, my God. This is television. This is. This is what television is supposed to be. This is good television. Oh, it's glorious. Yep. So since we talked about slicing and dicing, we might as well jump right into that because this episode sure does. Uh-huh. We are, of course, talking about episode nine now, where we are nearing the end of our first Daredevil series already. Yeah, and shit is starting to hit the fan. Oh, God, don't say fan, because it just makes me think that Charlie Cox looks like he's been ripped to shreds by a fan by the end of this. <laughs> God. There's a reason why I use certain words. Oh, you're the worst. No sympathy <laughs> for me whatsoever. Monster. Nuh-uh. So, as I said, this episode just jumps right into it. We don't know at first, like, when this is taking place, but Matt is just getting sliced to pieces by what appears to be a ninja. Yeah. And it is a bit disorienting because you start off and I was thinking, did I miss an episode? Or have I forgotten what happened? What? What? what how? What? So I was figuring this is going to be one of those deals where we'll eventually find out when this is taking place. We'll get to it at some point, but they're kind of jumping back first. And Marvel has a tendency to do that and do it well. Yeah, that didn't strike me. I thought I missed something. At first I did, but then as soon as we see Matt sitting outside the church and he doesn't look like he's been put through a mandolin. Sliced and diced. Yeah, I, f I figured, you know, we were going to get to it. So yeah, we pretty much start the episode with Matt heading back to church. And this priest, I must say, he's a very patient man. He certainly is. So they end up having their coffee that they had planned. Here's a question for you. Did it look to mm -hmm. you at the beginning here when Matt's meeting with the priest, who, by the way, should mention reinforces this, this seal of confession, despite the fact that they're just talking over coffee? Yeah. Does Matt look like he's in physical pain? Like he's hurting? At first, because I was a bit confused about when what was happening, like we have the slicing and dicing and then we straight away jump to the church. I thought that this was after. It took me a bit to realize that this was before. So yeah, I did think that he was in pain. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised if he was because yes. he's always just jumping around and beating people up and getting beaten up. Right. And I'm going to mention a few times throughout this episode that he's that he appears to be in physical pain. I think it's important for the episode. We'll get to that. Okay. This scene surprised me a little bit. I went into this thinking that 
Matt had some kind of longstanding relationship with this priest, but then this dude drops like, oh, you think I don't know who you are? Everybody remembers battling Jack Murdoch and his son. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's been a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes me think that Matt has regularly been going to another church. And it's only when now that he's started this vendetta, he seems to have gone back to his childhood church. Which makes sense, given the trauma. giving him comfort in some way. Yeah. Given the trauma he's going through. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. This is a great scene between the two of them. It is. The writing in this episode is just above and beyond the usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you will never hear me say this ever again. So uh, go ahead and mark this one on your calendars, people. I love this priest. Oh, my. At least the casting of this priest. He's got a crustiness about him, like a New Yorkness about him that merges well with this whole holy man concept. I like the term concept. (laughs) It is a concept. Very much a concept. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, this guy is like one of two good priests out there. It's this guy and it's the guy from Les Mis who helps Hugh Jackman when he gets out of prison. Interesting to note both are fictional. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By necessity. Anyway. Yes, yeah, so this priest, I like the way he gave the story to Matt about the devil. And it actually got me thinking about Fisk. Like, we know that Matt wants to believe that Fisk is the devil. That's just complete black and white to justify his want or desire to kill Fisk. Mm -hmm. Which is not apparent at this point of time. It gets more apparent as we move ahead in the episode. But it kind of got me thinking about our conversation, you and me. About Fisk and Vanessa? Yes. Well, not specifically Fisk and Vanessa, just Fisk in general. Okay. It made me think about the term that you keep using, he's a monster. And kind of like what the priest was saying, that he believes in the devil, that the devil does live among us, but they are at the end of the day human. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for us to just label someone as a monster and kind of distance ourselves from them like we are not capable of doing something like that but there's Mm -hmm. always the shade of gray that's true and you know the priest really shows that when matt asks him would you stop them if you could go back and he says stop them how and that's a clear indication that this priest has a line he won't cross right and matt at this point is struggling with that line and charlie cox does such a great job of conveying emotion here. How does this man convey so much without his eyes? It's incredible. <laughs> He's sitting there just slowly breathing heavily and you can feel the emotion coming off of him. Yeah. So we leave those two in the church to head over to Nelson and Murdoch, where Karen is finally bringing Ben Urich and Foggy together and everybody's joining forces on this union allied story we need to discuss this picture in the paper okay i have to give serious credit to how do we say her name Ailet zurer Ailet zurer the actress playing vanessa the way she is looking at fisk in this picture it just gives me the chills 
because it's like you said, it's this mixture of there's love and there's adoration in that look. Totally. But Mm -hmm. she clearly loves the power. She loves being the woman behind the man. And I'll tell you this, I was 95% convinced last week, but after seeing that look on her face, I'm now 100% convinced that that press conference was her idea. Yeah. And it wouldn't be surprising. I, I agreed with you. Yeah. Speaking of the picture, he's the one who's flaunting this, this uh, newspaper and going about, he's not happy that the fact that Fisk has come out in the open and their entire plan just went off the rails. Yeah. And he's the only one who understands how fucked they are now. Yeah. He, because he knows the power of the press. Right. And it gets worse later, but this is just moments starting out where Foggy is painfully naive. Yeah. I think I feel like this season is the latter half of the season is where Foggy starts growing up. This episode onwards is where he starts looking at reality rather than living in his fantasy land. Yeah, because it kind of gets thrown right into his face and he can no longer deny certain things. Yeah. And now we have Matt joining the party. Mm -hmm. The four of them openly discussing Daredevil. And I'm just... Sitting on my couch. (laughs) Like, yeah. And Ben is definitely leaning towards believing and trusting this masked vigilante, the devil of Hell's Kitchen. Yes. As does Karen. Oh, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. She sure does. Mm -hmm. Now, we also find out before we we deal with karen's hormones we find out <laughs> that hoffman the guy who killed his partner blake has disappeared he is in the wind i love that expression by the way that is one of the most like tv cop sayings ever is quote in the wind it, it's they couldn't not put it in there it's i think it's a law <laughs> yeah by the way, thank you for getting all the names because I have, I, I kind of gave up at, after a point. I said, yeah, you know what? Too much exposition. She'll get it. <laughs> you always handle the logistics of time travel. I'll handle the names. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you also notice, I felt like it was more, maybe this is the, the director just doing a really good job with us, but did you feel like Matt was pretending to be blind even a little bit harder in this episode? No, I don't think so. It felt more noticeable to me. Like, I think the director maybe was playing it up more for our eyes. Maybe, but I think it's also because we spend a lot of time with Karen and Foggy together uh, with Matt. And we see his walking stick a lot more in this episode compared to the other episodes. He's used it a lot more. It's like the director making a last ditch effort on Matt's behalf to hide his secret before it all comes out. Hmm, it's probably. really great because yeah. it, it made me it made me think like is Matt psychologically like playing his blindness up a little harder to compensate compensate for what his secret like does he even realize he's doing it like is he worried his secret's gonna come out I, I don't know it just why would he think that nobody suspects him I don't know I was probably my mind playing tricks on me because the direction's so good probably I in fact thought that Ben get, kind of gave Matt a second look He's an astute character. Yeah. I feel like Ben Urich just gives everyone a second look. So I don't know. Well, that's true. Now, let's get a... Let's talk about Miss Karen. (laughs) 
she is outwardly talking about how Daredevil kicks ass, like totally praising him. Yeah. And Matt cannot help himself. <laughs> he is smiling like a little schoolboy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And like half of me's like, yeah, you know it. You, I can't blame you. And half of me's like, you asshole. <laughs> You're enjoying this. You are living a lie and you are going to hurt this woman and you are enjoying this, you piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely. He is enjoying it. I, I'm sure he has no intentions of hurting Karen, but he's certainly enjoying playing this double life. Yeah. And you know, I love Karen and God knows I love Deborah Ann Wall and she does a great job conveying this. But um, mm -hmm. she's starting to like step into Chase Meridian territory from Batman Forever. Yeah, so for those who haven't seen Batman Forever, first of all, good for you. You didn't waste your time on that abomination. But yeah, so Nicole Kidman in that movie is just horning it up for Batman. She's like a psychopath, <laughs> just obsessed with Batman. And her one goal is to disrobe this man and have her way with him. Karen's certainly not at that level. But like, in terms of re being analogous to the realism of the show, she's clearly got herself a crush. Yeah. So are you saying Nicole Kidman's character is closer to you with a certain you other know, English you know, actor? Okay. Damn it. <laughs> I stepped right into that, didn't I? Yes, Give me you a did. second. I, gotta, I have to clean the shit off my shoe. Hang on. <laughs> God, you're just isolating these snippets for court for a later date. God. Uh. <laughs> Need I remind you that people living in glass houses shouldn't be throwing stones? Anyway, so <laughs> Karen, I want to say it's like 50% she's falling for the hero who saved her, which is understandable psychologically. Mm -hmm. And two, yeah. and, and, and half of it is he's hot. I can't yeah. blame her. Even with half his face covered. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, kind of especially with half his face covered. Yeah, there's some. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> this is fun. This is fun. I like this. So the gist of this whole meeting is that Ben's going to trust the big folder of information that Daredevil gave him. And they're going to go from there and just keep digging for now. Yeah. I do appreciate the fact that it was a fairly long scene and there was a lot of talking going on. This was basically kind of recapping the last eight episodes and bringing all the threads together. Yeah, they did a good job of it. Yeah, it, it kind of like brought everything together. It kind of started all making sense because by, till, till now everything was kind of piecemeal. Yeah, as the people have come together, so has the information. Yeah. So meanwhile, Fisk is moving full speed ahead with his bullshit charity cover up here. Mm -hmm. And we also find out I had kind of thought beforehand that Hoffman was dead, like Fisk had him killed, but not so. Yeah. Apparently he really is in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley tells him like, sorry, boss, our network hasn't found him yet. Uh, don't worry. Don't yeah. worry. We will. We totally, mm -hmm. we totally will. Please don't kill me. We will. <laughs> yeah. 
No, Fisk will not kill Wesley. Everybody has a breaking point. True. So let's put it this way. Fisk won't kill Wesley yet. Yeah, he was he would have been way, way down on the list. But you cross somebody in the right way, especially somebody who's capable of killing somebody like Gallagher with a watermelon. (laughs) You know, you don't want to push him too far. True. So now we get Nobu coming back into the picture and he is not pleased. Mm -hmm. He's really pissed off. He threatens Wesley outright. Yeah, and all of that because he did not get his city block. Yeah, he's basically the equivalent of a kid who didn't get the right flavor of lollipop from the candy store. Yeah, essentially. But at the same time, it's clear Fisk isn't holding up his end of the development deal. And he's uncomfortable with it, I think. The fact that Fisk is kind of like welching on a deal a little bit, not following the spirit of it. And he knows it. Mm -hmm. He know he's aggravated because this guy is beneath him, you know, being insolent. But at the time, at the same time, he's got a point. And Fisk knows that this is like compromising his honor to a point. Yeah, Fisk knows, which is why he tries to be a little gentler with him. Yeah, pacifying. Yeah. And I mean, I get Nobu's point of view. There have been nothing but problems. He's tired of these issues cropping up. He's not getting the property that he was promised. And Fisk also really isn't taking responsibility for it. He's he's blaming it on the devil of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, not only that, but he also is having the problem with the tenancy. Yeah. This particular block, the reason why Nobu hasn't got it is because of the tenancy. Right. It's Mrs. Cardenas's building. Yes. Now, what I found interesting here was how Fisk talks about the devil. Did it seem to you that as much as he hates this guy, Fisk can't help but have like a grudging respect for Matt's persistence? I think so, yes. In the conversation that they had in an earlier episode on the walkie-talkie, you can see that Fisk does have a certain amount of respect for him. He kind of sees himself in Matt. Of course. So, yeah. Yeah. But it also pisses him off to no end. It does. But he's been surprisingly patient about Matt, rather the devil, as compared to any of his own allies. Well, you know what I think that is partly... It's kind of like the situation in The Dark Knight where Gordon at first and, you know, the rest of Major Case, they didn't take the Joker seriously. They didn't realize Mm -hmm. just how much a force one man could be and just how much trouble he could cause. And they started locking in on him too late. And I think that's exactly what happened with Fisk here. He underestimated him. Probably. Yeah. So Fisk is like, hey, Nobu you know what? Let's work together on this, buddy. Help me take this guy out. (laughs) And Nobu agrees that, you know, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll get you a warrior. We'll take this guy out. No problem. Let's put that in our back pockets. Yeah, we definitely will be revisiting this. Oh, yeah. So we head back over to the law office now. Here's another Mm -hmm. instance. I feel like Matt is moving very gingerly and slowly around the office. As if he's in pain. And Faki and Karen just don't notice. I think they notice. They just assume that he's accident prone. <sighs> and that's the story he's been selling them all this time. That's, that is true. 
I guess. But I, I definitely noticed him like wincing a little bit and just not moving very well as if he's just one giant mm-hmm. bruise under that suit. So they're all very frustrated here because, of course, and, you know, I want to just shake them by the shoulders like, of course, Fisk covered his tracks extremely well. What were you expecting? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they can't be frustrated. Yeah, I know, but it's just the the naivete again. Yeah, and see, for them, Fisk is a relatively new entity that they're dealing with. They haven't dealt with anyone of this level before. So they are expecting him to mess up or leave some sort of trail. Ben is the only one who seems to understand just how influential and how smart Fisk is. These guys are still playing in kindergarten. Yeah, so when they come upon one dead end after another, they're just ready to tear their hair out. Yeah. And then Mrs. Cardenas comes back. Yeah. And with bad news in that Fisk has now, who now owns, officially, publicly owns this building, he has doubled the offer to vacate. Yes, Fisk has. And I think that Matt was right over here. About what? About telling Mrs. Cardenas that she should take the money and leave. Well, obviously, yeah. Matt does end up right about this, but... No, I'm not talking long term. I'm just talking from a practical point of view. It makes sense. It does make sense, but you haven't spent time around old Hispanic ladies. (laughs) For her, it's not (laughs) an option. That's her home. That's been her home for decades, she's not going anywhere. Not unless somebody forcibly removes her. All right, that explains her point of view. But what about Foggy and Karen? Again, naivete. They think they're fighting the good fight. You know, they don't understand how serious this is. And they they want to help this woman. They They want to help her. She wants to stay in her home. So they want to give that to her. It's out of love, too. Agreed. But keeping aside... The whole Fisk angle of it. When they went to her house, they saw that the building is in shambles. Her house is in shambles. Agreed, thanks to, you know, all the underhandedness. The people around are like junkies and it's not it's not a safe building. Why would they encourage someone who is old and living alone to stay there? It's better if she goes to someplace that is safer. Amy, she's not going to be able to go to someplace safer. That's the point. That building is rent controlled. She's not going to have a better option. This is an older lady. She has no one. She's on her Mm -hmm. own. So there's not going to be a better option for her or a safer option. This is Hell's Kitchen. She ain't going anywhere. Okay. So she's standing firm and... Foggy and Karen kind of can basically convince her to do that because some of the neighbors were thinking about taking it and she's on the fence, but they're, they convince her. Yeah. She, they basically give her the confirmation she needed, but she was already feeling like it. She didn't want to take it, but she kind of just got that extra push from Foggy and Karen. Yeah. And she trusts them. Matt, she doesn't really know. Hmm. And his frustration definitely starts to show with Karen and Foggy here. Yeah. It does. But at the same time, it's like, you know, Matt, you could you could fix this and, and fill them in on some stuff. <laughs> no, instead he goes to meet Vanessa. Yes, because and this is a good idea. Like the paper, 
had Vanessa's name. And that's a mistake on Fisk's part. Everybody says it to him. All his little villain friends tell him, you're making mistakes with her. You're getting sloppy. And they're right. Because now Matt knows who she is and where she is. And he can go have Mm -hmm. a little chat. But here's the thing. Did you see the amount of security that was around her? Hard not to notice. Exactly. So even though her name was out there. Still. Yeah, you don't get that many men of that size in one room together anywhere without it being a coordinated effort (laughs) of some kind. (laughs) So yeah, even though her name is out there, she is being protected. It adds to the persona of Wilson Fisk. Yeah, and I'm sure she loves every moment of it. Look how important I am. Yeah. And despite the fact that you have a hard on for her and just you want to bash her for everything that she says and does, it makes a lot of sense. It does. It's kind of like what we were discussing earlier on in the episode where they meet for the first time, where they have their date. It is unusual for someone of Fisk's social standing to be alone or unattached. So for him, when he comes out and he portrays himself to be the savior of Hell's Kitchen, it makes sense to have a a partner and someone as good looking as her. You know, that actually raises a good question that I hadn't thought of before. But why is Vanessa still single? Because we talk about that with Fisk, about him not having experience and it making sense as far as his psychology goes. But how is Vanessa still single? She's a a catch, right? Yeah. Yeah, she She, is. And she's clearly clearly in her 40s. Mm -hmm. I mean, she looks amazing, but she's in her 40s. So that might raise a few red flags in itself for a man, generally. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, she's absolutely stunning. She's clearly very intelligent. She's got a prestigious job. One could say she's been picky. She's been looking for the right man. But I don't know, a woman like her, you'd think she'd have gotten one into her web sooner than this. (laughs) We kind of get a hint about this on their second date where she does say like she was dating multiple people. So I think she was just kind of playing the field, enjoying people just going gaga over her. She's used to that. Could be. Yeah, she definitely likes attention. Yeah, and why settle for one when you can have many? Says the chronically single person. (laughs) (laughs) Again, can you please pick a different phrase for that? You make it sound like you have a disease. (laughs) So Matt shows up in this gallery and boy, is he laying the blind guy shtick on thick. Oh yeah, he is. And he's also laying the charm. It made me very uncomfortable. Why? <laughs> because he's too good at this. He is. And so is she. They had good chemistry. Yeah, they did. But here's the thing. Like, she does what she does. It's She's a good saleswoman. Mm-hmm. I, I give her that. Yeah. You know, she's doing this in a professional capacity. But... Matt's motives lie elsewhere, and he's just a little too good at this off the cuff for my liking. It's a little slimy. Well, to be fair, he has been doing this with everyone around him, just at a different, I, just at a lower level. 
I know. I think that's what it is. I think that's why it feels slimy knowing that he's been doing this to people for so long and it's mm-hmm. so wrong in so many ways. But at the same time, I get why I get it. I get why he does it. I totally understand. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the show. There's <sighs> no clear black and white. It's all gray. As much as we say that Matt is the is the hero of the show and he's, uh, you know, the good guy. He has his own flaws and he has been doing some underhanded shit with all the people around him. Yeah, I think Matt's probably the most flawed character on the show. Yeah. And so here's the thing. It, it This just popped into my head. Matt wants to do good, but he lies and cheats with his friends and the people around him to do that. He think he always thinks the ends justify the means. Yes. And the same thing is same thing applies to Fisk. The only difference is Fisk doesn't lie about who he is. Yes, he does. He's lying to the whole city. He believes what he's saying. So does Matt. Yeah, Matt, Matt believes what he's he's saying and he does. But he's all he knows that he's lying about his abilities to his friends. At the same time, I think he can justify that. Because it would freak people the fuck out and he'd be treated like some kind of pariah. And we're going to see this in the next episode, this kind of come into play. Yeah, I get that. I'm not trying to justify either of their point of views. I'm just saying that they are kind of juxtapositioned against each other in an interesting way. Yeah, definitely. So Vanessa starts leading the blind guy around (laughs) the art gallery by the arm. Yeah. A blind guy buying art in and of itself is challenging. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I gotta say, she does a pretty good job with it. She doesn't even blink. Like, this doesn't phase her at all. Yes. Which goes to show just how fantastic she is at her job. And this actually kind of made me think what you said about her being single. The way she is with her prospective customers you know, flirty. She's a good looking woman. Naturally, a lot of her clients would be flirting with her, wanting to go out on dates with her. And she doesn't seem to be above going out with them in order to get a sale. True. Right. So a lot of people who might be interested in seriously being with her may have a problem with that, with her attitude. That's true. And she's not a woman who's going to be pushed around by anybody. So she would just flick them off her shoulder. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense why she would be single, in a way. So Matt's pulling this bullshit with her, saying, oh, he'd love to meet the guy with such taste who managed mm-hmm. to to uh, win her heart. Oh, my God. When she says you could ask him yourself, my <laughs> fucking heart stopped. Yeah, so did Matt's. <laughs> yeah, I would have peed my pants right there. <laughs> Right on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. He, you can see he gets off kilter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's one way to put it. Mm-hmm. He, he can barely control himself. Yeah. In my notes, I've actually written, dun, 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 Fisk arrived. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And if like the Stella Adler School or some of those other Juilliard, maybe other acting classes have a course ever on jaw acting charlie cox needs to teach it (laughs) that and the whole knuckles 
thing. Yes. I thought he was going to like somehow break his own jaw in this scene. He is just so intense. He can barely mask that rage. I was worried about the stick. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I thought he's going to snap it in two and break it and blow his cover. And so they have this little conversation and Fisk is kind of also laying on the charm here. And when Vanessa interrupts him and like chastises him a little bit for treating Matt like a donor, I was like, (gasps) (laughs) no, in fact, I think that Fisk wasn't laying the charm. Fisk was being himself. No, I think he was. That was definitely like a politician's gambit there for sure, because he's not he's not charming. Yeah, he's not. He was laying it on. He was laying it on, but in a very forceful and aggressive and awkward way. Yeah. And Vanessa is the only person who could get away with saying that to him. Yes, that's her power. Yeah, it that that moment scared the shit out of me. Because for a second, I'm like, oh, God, what's he going to do? <laughs> and what he does is say, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. He apologizes, doesn't he? I th- I just thought it was absolutely terrifying. Okay. Now, Fisk, just like Ben Urich, Fisk is astute. He senses something off about Matt. Yeah. And it's more than just the fact that it's a blind guy trying to buy art. <laughs> And the fact that he realizes, oh, this is the opposing counsel on the tenement case. Right. Though that's a really handy excuse right now. Matt had kind of an escape with this where he'd be like, oh, you know what? I actually don't think we should be talking. I should probably get out of here. Yeah. 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 You know what? Let me do that. And I, this is the smartest thing Matt has done on this show to date. Get the fuck out of there. I don't think he would have been able to hold himself back any longer. Yes. Now, here's the thing. There was rage in him, but there was Mm -hmm. also fear. And what I'm wondering is, does he get out of there because he's terrified of Fisk or because he's terrified of himself and what he wants to do in that moment? I think that he's terrified of himself. Yeah. But there's also something to be said about confronting your demon face to face. True. Because up to this point, Fisk has still been kind of an amorphous thing, an amorphous Mm -hmm. entity for Matt. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, he's talked to them. He's talked to him on a walkie talkie, but that was just a disembodied voice. He's seen him only in the media from afar. He's more been hearing about him. But now this is the first time, like up close and personal. And two, did you notice like how small Charlie Cox looks next to him? Yeah. Yeah. D'Onofrio is a mountain in comparison. Yes, agreed. So, I mean, yeah, Matt can fight. Matt's an incredible fighter, but there is something to be said for a size advantage. (laughs) Which we see later on, too. Oh, yeah. So, yes, smart Matt. Be afraid, run, and go get your shit together elsewhere. Yeah, and I think it's also the fact that up until this point, yes, Fisk has just been this entity. But now he met Fisk and he realized that he is a human being, 
what Matt mm-hmm. had kind of made him up to be like the devil and it's justified for him to do what he needs to do. Now he's suddenly realizing maybe not so. Yeah, because he recognized in both of them the love that Fisk and Vanessa have for each other. Yes. And he's so torn. It really is heartbreaking because deep down, he so desperately wants to be a good man. I don't know if he is, but he so badly wants to be. And you know what? That's points. Is it? It is. He just has no idea how to go about doing it. And he's he's burdened by these powers he has as much as he's gifted. And we're going to talk about that more in the coming episodes. Mm hmm. So what does Matt do? What every good little Catholic boy is trained to do. (laughs) He goes back to his priest. Yes, he does. But again, to this guy's credit, he actually gives Matt really good guidance and asks the right questions. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing when they are having this conversation. And at this point, there is no pretense. Matt is talking about murder. Yes. And this why? priest knows exactly who he is. Yes. And why the fuck is the priest not calling the cops? We've been over this. It, I know, but it's, 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 it makes no sense. I'm not disagreeing with you. Nothing about Catholicism makes any sense. But this priest is also human. He cares about Matt. I think he always has. But if you know someone is going to murder someone, you stop them, no matter how much you care about them. Isn't that the whole tenant of like, do no harm? No, that's doctors. Absolutely. But Matt has not said outright that he's going to go through with this. He's saying he's torn. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And he's not outright saying, I am planning to kill someone. So... There, the obligation, it's not there. It's not fulfilled. So you're going with from, the whole legality technically? Yes. Yes. Because too, Matt doesn't know what move he's going to make because he's, he's so torn. And that's what the priest is talking to him about. He's saying, is the problem that you feel you have to kill this man and you don't want to, or that you want to kill him, but you don't have to? Again, brilliant writing. Because that is. is exactly Matt's problem. Yes. Here's the question. Do you think he wants to or do you think he has to? I think he wants to. Agreed. I think he's been trying to convince himself that he has to. But now that he's seen them in person, it just completely jarred him. And I think that was part of the fear in there is that realization that, oh, these are people. Yeah. So Matt heads back over to Nelson and Murdoch. And uh, Karen's waiting for him. She's got some information. Deborah Ann Wolf does such a great job in this scene and with him in general. She is clearly into him. She's nervous around him. She gets smiley and befuddled and just a little fidgety. She does such a great job where it's not too much, but it's just enough for us to know how she feels. Yeah. And do you think he realizes it yet? I think he does, but he is not paying any attention to it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's got other priorities for sure. Yeah. And up until a couple of episodes ago, we know that he was into Claire. So he's not, you know, concerned too much about Karen and her hormones. And he's also, and he pushed Claire away 
because he wanted to keep her safe. So even if he did feel anything for Karen at this point, he wouldn't act on it because he wants to keep her safe. True. Now, do you wonder if there is like a part of Karen that she's not aware of that subconsciously knows they're the same person? I don't know. I mean, if this was like a romantic comedy, yeah, then she'd say, I knew it was you all along. Just a subconscious thing because they're the same person. So they're going to have the same height, the same build. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for scent and just energy that comes off a person. And she has seen part of his face. True. Maybe she does. I'm wondering if there's just, and she's clearly attracted to both. So I'm wondering if just, she doesn't even know it, but there's something in her subconscious that's conflating the two without her even being aware of it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's possible. So now Foggy comes into the room too. And this is another instance where he like grabs Matt's shoulder and Mm -hmm. it looks like by the expression on his face, like Matt just saw stars, but can't express that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, dude, that's a fresh one. Not there. (laughs) Yeah. But he kind of covers it up with the whole nameplate thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's a good looking little nameplate too, but a little late. Yeah. A bit small. Again, it's all about the branding. I can't do another branding (laughs) post with you. I just can't. (laughs) And then Karen gets the dreaded phone call. Yes. Not Mrs. C. No, no. She was truly the only uncomplicated person in the show she was in true innocent yes and this scene at the morgue is fantastic there's so much subtext and such great performances here Hmm. karen and foggy are just absolute wrecks yeah and i thought it was interesting that who does karen turn to for comfort foggy right and it was like she didn't even think about it yeah Matt is so full of rage. Again, his knuckles are white. You think that stick is going to break. He can't even move. He's like paralyzed with rage. Mm -hmm. He wants to lash out, but he's holding himself tight. Yeah. Yeah. And God, the stress and the effort that that requires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's only a matter of time till somebody snaps. Yep. And I'm sure... That energy was just emanating off of him. And uh, again, body language subconsciously. And Karen knew Foggy was the one to turn to in that moment. Yeah. And I think it's a simple thing of they were standing close to each other before, before they saw the body and identified her. Because naturally, naturally Matt would step away because he wouldn't be able to identify her visually. Even still, like... At this point, Karen and Foggy have a closer, deeper relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And Karen does think of Foggy as a friend. She has a crush on Matt, but Foggy's her friend. Yeah, I just wish poor Foggy would do that. Yeah. Poor guy. So we go from the morgue back to the beginning of this episode. Yes. And this fight just continues... And we realize now that we see the ninja's face, oh shit, that's Nobu. Yeah, that was unexpected. It certainly was. And now I'm thinking to myself, okay, how much deeper does this mystical stuff go now? Because he's doing some shit. 
Yeah, it, it gets quite deep, not on Daredevil, on the other shows. Yeah. And Matt is just getting fucking shredded like a block of cheese. <laughs> yeah. And then the hook to the end of it all is that Nobu manages to get the hooked side of this blade into Matt's abdomen and drags ah, him. Oh, my God. It was like the the friggin shoulder roast in jaws when those morons on the dock are trying to throw his wife's christmas roast out to jaws out out to bruce the shark <laughs> i don't know what that is but this kind of reminded me of you know how these construction workers they have this little hook that they put into the sacks uh sacks of cement to move uh, not really but sure okay it it kind of reminded me of that like you just kind of put it in and it's easier to grab these sacks and just push them mm. along. And mm. that's kind of what was happening with Matt. He was, you know, hooked in and dragged along. Uh. Uh. <laughs> Deep breath. Take a sip of water. <sighs> so while Matt is literally getting butchered at this point... <laughs> Foggy and Karen are over at the bar. Getting shit-faced. Yeah, trying to process their grief. And I felt like a ghost yelling at the TV here where I'm like, oh my God, Foggy, would you buy a fucking clue, please? <laughs> How do you not recognize that this was an execution, that Fisk had her killed? Do you, how do you think at this point that this was a coincidence? Like you said, naivete. God. And Matt, of course, knows the truth immediately. Yeah. And at the bar, they see, they see Fisk on TV putting yeah. on a great act about the whole thing for the cameras. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we hear Fisk using Matt's own words about the devil, you know, about him being a blight upon the city they see each other the same way. Exactly. He 100% believes his own bullshit, sees himself as the hero of his story. Yeah, absolutely. And as does Matt. And it's upon seeing this footage that Karen is like, fuck this. I hope the devil puts him through a wood chipper. Like, yeah, yeah. Enough. Yeah. And that's just adding fuel to the fire for Matt. Yeah, he doesn't really need encouragement. Mm-hmm. So Matt sets out while Karen and Foggy are grieving. Matt yeah. is trying to track down the guy who killed Mrs. Cardenas. Yes. And he takes out all that rage and frustration on any goon that he can find. Yeah, he's just leaving a trail of goons through Hill's <laughs> Kitchen at this point. Yeah. Claire would have a really busy night in the hospital. Yeah. I miss Claire. Yeah. Yeah. I like her. You know what I don't like? What? I can't deal with IV drug use. I just can't handle it. <laughs> please. Please not a crack house. Please. I beg you. At this point, you should just make a list of things that you can deal with because the list you can't deal with is too long. <laughs> I can't see people shooting up. I just can't. Oh, it's it's the worst. I cringe. I just curl up in a bowl. I can't look at it. 
Okay. Does that go for even like in like insulin injections? No, that's different. It's a thing about veins. Like, okay, so I don't want to watch anybody, you know, take their insulin. I, I don't want to see, you know, the, the needles and stuff. But when it comes to IV drug use, I know they're like, they're looking for that vein and they're they're putting it right in the, ugh, I can't stop. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah, you're like, you tie it up and tap, tap, tap. Did you get the vein? Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say though, excellent set design on the crack house. Oh yeah, absolutely, and even the makeup for the for the junkies' teeth. Good, well, well yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, you could smell it. Yeah, I don't know what he's using crack, meth, heroin, dealer's choice, but well done. <laughs> Did you notice the little logo on that pouch? What pouch? The drug. The cocaine slash whatever white powder pouch. Uh, no, my fingers were in the way. Okay. All right. Okay. If you can, try and f- go back and look at that little logo on the pouch, which I must say, these guys are good at branding. What is it? It's a little like a snaky kind of uh, logo. It doesn't come too much into play in Daredevil, but moving forward into Iron Fist, it does. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was like um, Walter White's logo. No, no. Like it was some kind of homage. Okay. (laughs) So while Matt's interrogating this guy, he sees Mrs. Cardenas's purse. And that's it for him. Yeah. But still at this point, he is convinced that the junkie was paid to kill her. Which is true. Yeah, and he's, yeah, he's absolutely right. And he tells Mm -hmm. this guy... You're going to turn yourself in. Yeah. Or I'm going to kill you. Those are your two options. Right. I don't think the guy would have turned himself in because probably five minutes later, he wouldn't have remembered this whole beat up. Possibly. I mean, he did think that Matt was a hallucination. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Hallucinations. Hmm. That's more LSD territory. I don't think uh, that's that's LSD territory. So. No, he does say that like you're real. You Oh, you're real. Oh, I don't think he meant that. I don't think he meant it that way. Then? I don't think he meant it in the way of being a hallucination. I think he meant it as, um, just like in Batman, how like people didn't believe that there was a six foot bat running around at first. Like, oh, you really, the devil of Hell's Kitchen really does exist. I think this guy is too far gone to actually be, be to actually be keeping up with current events. <laughs> Maybe. So Matt ends up at a warehouse on the docks. And this is where this big old ninja fight happens. And of course, Matt, yeah, it was a trap. <laughs> it's always a fucking trap. But he keeps running headfirst in. He does every time. Yeah. And interestingly, we also find out that Nobu here knows Stick and refers to him as the old fool. Yes. And he also knows the same tricks that Stick does, like lowering your your heart rate and your body temperature and all of that fancy yeah, stuff. Yeah, this is, this is the first time Matt's gone up against an equal. Yes. And he's been pummeled. Yeah, other than Stick, who wouldn't have actually killed him. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to roast me for this, but I don't care. It has to be said, God damn, Charlie Cox looks good in this fight. <laughs> Yeah, the lighting does do him some favors and 
Well, of course, by the end of it, he's been cut up so much that the the shirt is basically on just with sheer willpower. That ass doesn't need any favors. It doesn't need lighting. <laughs> it stands on its own. Uh huh. So does the torso. So does the everything about him. Mm-hmm. So while Matt is getting shish kebab, let's see how many different analogies can I make in this episode? I think that's number seven. <laughs> Karen and Foggy are continuing to get uh, wasted. Yes. And, and by is... now they are completely wasted. Yeah. Yeah. They've moved past any chance of being a happy drunk. They've gone down into could drown in a puddle territory. Yeah. So this is heartbreaking because Foggy is blaming himself for Mrs. Cardenas's death. He convinced her not to take the money and hold her ground. And he's thinking she'd be still be alive if he hadn't done that. And I want to be able to say to him, no, honey, that's not true. It's not your fault. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's right. Yeah, he kind of is. But here's the thing. Okay, if she would have taken the money, we already know that Fisk had planned to trap the devil in some way or form to in order to get Nobu and and the devil together and have their epic fight. So what would he have done then if if Mrs. Cardenas would have taken the money? He would have just found another tool, another way. Hmm. Karen, maybe? I don't know if he would have gone that close. He would have come up with something. Probably, yeah. So Foggy is just feeling helpless here. Again, he just wanted to help a friend that he cared about. He wanted her to be able to stay in her home. He thought he was being a crusader, fighting the good fight. But he didn't understand the stakes. Yeah, agreed. Karen is feeling differently. She's not feeling helpless. She's not wallowing. Yeah, she's strong. She This has made her even more determined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's too pissed right now to feel helpless. While Foggy is wallowing, Karen is now more motivated than ever. Mm-hmm. So wheels are turning in her head, and then we head back to the docks where... Matt is just, he's about to be like one of those cartoons where the cartoon character just gets like sliced up like an accordion and then gets somehow put back together with some twine. <laughs> Only in this case, there's no putting back together. No, no. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, he gets the better of Nobu, manages to set this dude on fire. Yeah, by sheer luck. Yeah. It's Nobu's blade that goes and punches the fuel that is there and matt manages to get his uh knife up into the lights causing sparks and boom barbecue <laughs> yeah so i mean it, it's funny all the things i can't deal with i was totally fine with this guy just running around on fire okay that's good you can add it yeah. to the list number one <laughs> people burning on fire it's fine <laughs> And then while this dude is like rolling around, Fisk and Wesley and their crew step out of the shadows. Yes. I was actually surprised that Fisk showed up. Uh, yeah, me too. Because he not only <laughs> doesn't get his hands dirty with this kind of stuff, the, with the one exception of the decapitation, of course. Yes. Again, he didn't get his hands dirty. He got the car dirty. He got his hands plenty dirty. He was covered <laughs> in blood. <laughs> He looked like he just poured a jar of marinara all over himself. (laughs) 
with Matt being so injured, this gives Fisk a little opportunity to give us a nice villain monologue. Yeah. Which I appreciated. <laughs> which he, well, Vincent D'Onofrio does a good job. He does. Yeah. And I love me a good villain monologue. Okay. So this is, even though Matt and Fisk have been face to face, this is the first time Fisk and the devil have been face to face. Yes. Different dynamic. So it's, it's different because one of them is more in the know than the other. Mm hmm. Well, at this point, Matt is too out of it to know anything. Yeah. He just, he's he can... just trying to save his life. True. And, and we also find out in this little soliloquy that this was a twofer. Fisk was yeah. using Matt, too, because he wanted him to kill Nobu. Yeah. He was kind of hoping that they would have killed each other off, which is probably why Fisk was waiting in the sidelines to kill off the other one, whoever survived. Possibly. And of course, he admits that killing Mrs. C was just this trap to lure Matt and refers to her as, quote, emotional weakness. Mm hmm. Oh, and I think it's those two words that keep Matt going here, even though he can barely stand up. I was so angry with him in this moment. OK, like what? the fuck are you doing you can barely stand up you are so injured you are going to die if you don't get medical treatment and you think you can take on this like fucking professional wrestler <laughs> have you lost your mind he has he is running purely on anger that's what's fueling him idiot yes I, I literally have that in my notes. Just idiot in all caps with three exclamation points. <laughs> if anyone out there, anybody out there doesn't believe how toxic rage and anger is and how stupid it can make people, just watch this scene over and over again till it gets yeah. through. Yeah. It gets you punctured and sliced and you still have the energy to go do something stupid. But it's the next part that really terrified me. Fisk seemingly loses it. He looks like he is going to tear Matt's head right off his shoulders. Just this feral look on his face. And then in a split second, just like that, he flips the switch and turns it off. Mm -hmm. Vincent D'Onofrio is just fucking brilliant. He is. He is incredible. He yeah. I don't know how a person does that in the in the moment, in reality, or whether playing the part. It's just incredible what he does here. Yeah, he just lets Matt come at him. Yeah, and he's not even trying. He's just kind of defending himself to a certain extent, but he's not really trying to kill Matt. Right, which just pisses Matt off more. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, like a little puppy dog trying to jump at and try to, you know, gain someone's attention. And the other person is just like, yeah, okay, stop barking. Oh, yeah. Oh, been there. I know all about yeah. that. Yeah. It's just that. And the height difference and the technique that they have while they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. You have like a classically trained martial artist versus a brawler. Yeah. Now, my dear, slightly germaphobic partner, I have to ask. Mm-hmm. What what did you think of sliced up Matt oozing blood from everywhere 
jumping out into the river. He's going to be on antibiotics for a very, very long time. <laughs> I literally have in my notes, oh my God, <laughs> the infections. Because <laughs> for those of you not familiar with New York, you know, all bodies of water out there nowadays are pretty gross, dirty. New York is a special breed of filth. I'm not sure, just based on geography, whether Matt here is jumping into the Hudson River or the East River. Either way, it's amazing he doesn't come out of that with, like, more superpowers from radiation, God knows what. (laughs) He doesn't come out with, like, gills or something? Yeah, like, no matter what Kramer has told us, people, the East River is not something you want to swim in. ever let alone with any kind of open wound or like your intestines nearly falling out Mm, yeah so yeah he needs a lot more than stitches yeah he needs to be hospitalized but then again this is matt he is a walking hospital himself yeah he is like nearly dead when Fisk orders Wesley to shoot him and just and and get it done, and Matt jumps through the window into that river, yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know where he summoned up the energy to do that. Well, he was really close to dying. You know, you you can scramble when it's like life or death. You will find the energy, I guess. And then this last scene is great. This last scene just shatters the wall of denial that Foggy had built around himself all these years. Yeah. It's a testament to how cleverly Matt has done this ruse for years and of like Foggy seeing what he wants to see. He gets to Matt's apartment. He sees the devil of hell's kitchen in Matt's apartment. And his first thought is this guy broke in and did something to Matt. Yeah, but to be fair, Matt's apartment is completely trashed. He hasn't done anything to repair any of the damage since his since his fight with Stick. True, but it doesn't even occur to him like, oh, he's here because he lives here. No, no, and it's understandable. Uh, even though but- he's looking right at him and it's like, huh, same height, yeah. same size. I've seen that face since college. Even though I can't see the eyes, which to be fair, he's rarely sees Matt's eyes. So Foggy of all people should notice even more. True, but you have to keep in mind, A, Matt has been playing this game very well for a very long time. B, Matt is blind. He's automatically underestimated at all points. Which he takes advantage of. Yes. And C, Foggy is such a kind hearted person. He would never be, he would never think that his best friend is going around beating people up every night. The same guy who insists on following the rule of the law and getting justice the right way. Yeah, and that's exactly what we are going to explore in episode 10 because Foggy has things to say. Yeah, That's that's a heavy episode. Indeed. Now, if you have things to say about Daredevil, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for Season 1, Episode 10 of Daredevil. 
aka Matt and Foggy's first group therapy appointment. <laughs> Indeed. If you enjoy listening to us and you'd like an exclusive episode about how we met and started the podcast, our origin story, as it were, join our email list and we'll send you the link. Sign up on our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend. Do you know who Gallagher is? No. Okay. I have to tell you this. Gallagher was a comedian in the U.S. in the 80s. He was this, like, guy. And his entire act, this guy somehow sold out Madison Square Garden doing this. His -hmm. entire act was that he hit watermelons with a sledgehammer. That's it? That was his whole comedy act. Yes. (laughs) I know. I know. Okay.